Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those who uh, do not know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and it is great to be with you. Um, I'm thankful that I can be with you and thankful uh, that uh, I don't have COVID, so uh, that my test came back negative and quarantine was over. But, but honestly, um, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously thankful for that, but I'm also very thankful that uh, the Lord has blessed our church and our community with such gifted and able people that when the pastor uh, has to go down in less than 24 hours notice, they can jump in and uh, fill that void. And so I am very thankful for the Lord's grace to us because that is his blessing and is his kindness. And so, um, so I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful to be with you to be able to open God's word. And the portion of his word we're going to be looking at is Luke 18 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Luke 18, this is the third sermon in our Advent series. In this series, we've been looking at this idea that Jesus is better than David, that he's the better king to come. And so a few weeks ago, we started this series by looking at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and the promise that is made that a Davidic heir would come. That a king in the line of David would one day come and how Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, of that covenant. And then last week, out of Matthew's gospel, Tobias uh, led us through a passage that showed us that Jesus isn't just the heir that was promised, but he's also actually the God of David. That he's David's Lord, that he's not just uh, one who would come in the lineage of David, but he's actually greater than David because he's David's God. And this morning, we're going to look at another phrase that is associated with David, or excuse me, with Jesus, and that is the son of David, the son of David. Now, when we talk about the son of David, before we jump into the passage, it's important for us to understand a couple things. One is that this idea son of David is used in two different ways within the Gospels. Sometimes it's used speaking of the son of David as simply a lineage, part of the genealogy of David. That's how we saw it last week in Matthew's Gospel. That Jesus is just one of, of many that come in his line. He's a son of David. But there are other times where the Gospels present this phrase, son of David, as a title. It's not speaking specifically about lineage or genealogy. It's actually speaking about Jesus being the son of David, the greater David, the Messiah, the promised one to come. And that's how our passage is focusing our attention this morning. It's focusing not on the lineage per se, but more about the title. The title, Son of David, the King. So when you think of king, when you hear that word, what comes to your mind? When you think of the promised son of David, what expectations do you have? The king to come, the one who has been promised, when he arrives, what expectations would you have for him, for how he was going to act, how he is going to live, what he was going to say? Okay, hold those expectations in your mind for a moment, and let's read Luke 18, beginning in verse 35. As he, that being Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, 
recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to this passage knowing our need, acknowledging that uh, we are uh, consumed with things of this world, that our minds are focused on things not of you, that our hands do things that we shouldn't. We, we acknowledge this and we confess and profess that we need the renewing of our mind and that you have promised to renew our minds through your word and your spirit. And so we pray that you would do that now, that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that you would soften our hearts and you would renew our minds so that we would know you, our God and our King, and we would follow you all our days. Help us now as we come to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so many of you know that uh, for about the last year and a half, uh, I've taken up road biking. I've started cycling. And uh, this has been a wonderful way for me to get out, especially during lockdown. I could go out and ride my bike and, and knock out a few miles and work my legs and expand my lungs and work out some stress and all those sorts of things. It's a great way to exercise. And so, uh, so now, now let me just say, actually, b before I go any further, when I say I've gotten into cycling, like I'm no Jason Little, right? Joseph Darwin, like those guys, they're, they're on a little bit different level than me, but, but I still like it. It's still fun. And so the other week, the other month actually, I was out on a ride and I came to a red light and I stopped, came to a full stop, unclipped out of my pedal and I waited for the light to turn green because when you're on a bike, you're supposed to abide by the laws of the road. And so that's what I did and I waited. And as I waited for the light to turn green, coming up in the right-hand lane to turn right, the turning lane, was a very big, very loud red truck. And this red truck stopped. And he stopped, came to a full and complete stop, and instead of turning right and continuing on his way, he rolled down his window. And I looked over, and he started to poke his head out the window. And what I saw was a fairly large man in this very large, loud truck. He was a shaved head and a big, burly beard, and he had tattoos all up and down his arms, and he was smoking a cigarette. And he took the cigarette out of his mouth, and he blew the smoke out the window, and he leaned over getting ready to speak to me. Now, before he could say a word, I will have to tell you that I rolled my eyes in my head. <laughs> I didn't do it physically. I didn't let him see me rolling my eyes, but I rolled them in my head because I knew what he was going to say, right? He's leaning out. He's ready to chastise me, to express his frustration, his disappointment, his anger that, that these men with these spandex shorts and tight shirts and flashing lights were taking up the road. It's what I expected, right? I mean, I had heard stories about this before, about how cyclists will get chastised by drivers, how obscene fingers get pointed at them as they're riding their way, and so this is just my turn, right? I finally arrived. I guess I'm now a cyclist. That was my expectation. Chastisement, anger, annoyance. I mean, everything I saw pointed to that, right? Big red truck, shaved head, beard, tattoos. Everything I saw led me to expect this, right? Well, earlier I asked, what would you expect when the son of David came? What would the king be like? How would he behave? If the king of the universe, David's greater son, arrived, he showed up, what expectations would you have? 
What about the crowd? What expectations did they have? I mean, they had seen Jesus' miracles. They had caught wind of his teaching. They were some convinced that he was the promised one. And so surely when he comes walking through the streets of Jericho, they would have expected, what, more miracles, great teaching. Maybe they would have expected a call to arms because the Roman government's over them and they didn't like the Roman government. And so David was a great warrior, so maybe Jesus would be a great warrior. The son of David would take up the sword. Maybe that's what they were thinking. Right? They would expect the king, right? the king to talk to and engage with important and powerful people. It's not really hard to imagine that this would be their expectation of the son of David, is it? I mean, maybe this is the expectation. This was the expectation that was forming the words that they spoke to the blind man. Remember the blind man? He yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And how did the crowd respond? In verse 39, they rebuked him telling him to be silent. See, they had an expectation of how the king would act. And that expectation had no room for a beggar. It had no room for a blind man. No, the king to come, he has more important people to talk to. He has more important things to do than to hear the screams of a blind man. They had expectations. So when that truck driver leaned his head out the window and he opened his mouth to speak to me, It wasn't chastisement and anger that he expressed. He actually started by asking me some questions. So how long have you been riding? Where are you going today? How many miles are you going to log? And I answered his questions, and then he said, you know, more people need to be considerate of cyclists. Cars need to make room for bikes. Have a good ride. And away he went. And all of my expectations were destroyed. It wasn't anger. It wasn't annoyance. It wasn't chastisement. I have to tell you that I'm I'm thankful I clipped out of my pedals and I was standing on ground because if I was still on my bike, I probably would have fallen over, right? Because it wasn't annoyance. It wasn't anger. No, it was consideration. It was concern for another. It was care. That's what he expressed. All my expectations were all wrong. And so were the crowds. The crowds called out, be quiet. Jesus has no time for you. Stop shouting. But the blind man didn't stop, did he? He shouted again, son of David, have mercy on me. The blind man called out and Jesus heard him. Jesus heard him. Jesus heard him because the king, the son of David, is one who is full of compassion. He destroys the expectations of the crowd and shows that he is compassionate to this one who is needy. That's what we see in verse 40, right? Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Y'all, this is beautiful. I mean, think about it. The crowd was annoyed and irritated, but not Jesus. The crowd assumed Jesus would not listen to the cries of the needy, but Jesus heard him. You see, the blind man understands something about Jesus that the crowds didn't. You know, this is the only time in the Gospel of Luke that the title Son of David is used. It's the only time as a title it's used. The other times that Son of David is used, it's used in 
the context of lineage or genealogy, but as a title, this is the only time. And who is it that speaks this word? It's not the learned. It's not the powerful. It's not even the disciples. It's this man in need. It's this man in need who calls out son of David. And this is actually in keeping with how the other gospels use this title. Because most often when the title son of David is used, it's used by those who are in need of mercy. Eleven times in the synoptic gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, eleven times the title son of David is used. And nine times it's used by the weak, by children, by the needy. It's they who cry out, son of David. And they cry out, son of David, because they know that the son of David would be one with compassion. I mean, that's what they saw with David, isn't it? It was the needy and the outcasts who were drawn to him in the cave. And it was Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, who found comfort in David's presence. Widows and orphans and the needy. In David, they found compassion. They found compassion because David was a king of compassion. And so how much more the greater son of David? You see, Jesus doesn't turn his eye away from the injured, and he doesn't ignore the cry of the needy. And he doesn't ignore your cry either. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what the last few days or weeks or months have brought into your life. I don't know the burden that you feel on your shoulders. Maybe it's physical or mental or emotional affliction. Maybe it's sadness or depression, strife or sin. I don't know what you're bringing, but we're all bringing something. And it's very easy for us to just remain in silence to, to ignore, to try to pretend like those burdens aren't there. But what the king, the son of David, invites us to do is to cry out to him. To cry out to him and to draw near to him because he is full of compassion. Jesus wants to hear your burdens and he wants to know your strife. And he wants to know your falling into temptation and your sin. He wants to hear those things. He wants you to draw near to him because he's full of compassion. But he's also not just compassionate. He's also full of power. You see, the son of David is compassionate, but we also see the power of the son in this passage. Because the blind man is brought to Jesus, and we read in verse 41 that Jesus asks him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. So you see that Jesus isn't just compassionate. He doesn't just see the afflictions and see the pain and draw near to them. But he actually has the power to do something about it. And he does. He brings healing. Brings healing to this man. Now, about a month or so ago, my family and I, we were doing our family devotions at the end of the day. This was before Advent. And so we were reading through the the different Bible passages. And the passage that day was uh, dealing with Samson in the book of Judges and the miraculous power that he had to take on the Philistines. And so we read the passage and we prayed and we're getting ready to uh, send the kids off to bed. And one of my kids asked the question, I see all these miracles 
these amazing things in the Bible? Does God still do that today? It's a good question, isn't it? It's a really good question. I, I imagine that some of you maybe have asked that question. Maybe some of you are asking it now. I mean, we see the healing of this blind man, right? And we read on the pages of Scripture the miracles that God does. He parts the sea. He heals the, the blind. He makes the lame walk. He raises the dead. These great miracles God has done throughout the pages of Scripture. But does he still do it today? And so... Kat and I, after we are asked this question, and I think we kind of paused and looked at each other like, who wants to handle this one? <laughs> we reminded our kids of the amazing ways God continues to care for his people today. We reminded our kids of how God is still at work in the midst of his people today. We told them stories about people even in our own church and people that we've known throughout the years and how God has cared for them. We reminded them of Beckett Strelo. Y'all remember Beckett? I imagine that I, I, probably none of us have actually even met Beckett, or very few of us. But Beckett Strelo, the grandson of Scott and Beth, and Beth told me I could talk about Beckett, so we're okay. But their grandson, remember he was born with a very rare respiratory disease. And we were scared. We were nervous. The family was concerned. And so were the doctors. You remember the doctors said, told his parents, you need to be ready. You need to prepare yourself because he's not going to live. Not he's probably not going to live. They said he's not going to live. You need to prepare yourself because when you take him home, you're taking him home to die. And so we prayed. You remember we prayed things like, God, we don't know what you're going to do, and we don't know how you're going to act, but we trust you. We know you're good. We prayed and asked God for the desire of our hearts that he would heal this little boy. The doctor said that he would die, but we asked God, work, intervene, do something. And he did. He did. Beckett's not in the hospital. And when he returned home, he didn't re return home to die, he returned home to stay. And we know that there are going to be tests and there are going to be things that they're going to have to keep looking and watching in, in his life. But, but now the doctors are saying he's going to lead a normal and healthy life. Right? They were once saying he's going to die and now they're saying we don't know how this happened, but he's going to live. They couldn't explain it, but we can explain it, can't we? The Lord, the son of David, the one who is full of power, he acted. He miraculously healed that little boy. Now, that doesn't mean that all of our illnesses will be miraculously healed. Right? It doesn't mean that we know that still sickness and death and disease and virus will still be a part of our experience. I mean, even in the days of Jesus, in the days of the Old Testament, that not all the sicknesses were healed, right? That some blind men remained blind and some lame, lame women remained lame. But what we see is that Jesus actually has the power over sickness and sin. He has the power over despair and death. A power that every one of us will one day experience because it will find its fullness in the age to come. 
You see, the miracles of Jesus are demonstrations of what will occur when he returns. It's what some theologians have called the eschatological dimension coming near, which is just a big, fancy theological way of saying that the miracles that Jesus performed is Jesus reaching into the new heavens and the new earth and pulling it into today to give us a glimpse of what awaits us. A glimpse of the consummated kingdom. When the son of David is going to heal every disease and wipe away every tear and bring fullness to his people. Y'all, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that a day when there will be no more broken bones? A day when there will be no more cancer? No more depression or addiction or anxiety? They will all be no more because the son of David has power to heal and he does. And the amazing thing is is that that work that we await for, Jesus has already begun now. Because the truth is, is that, that I don't know if any of us are physically blind, actually completely blind, but the truth is, is that spiritually we were. And it was only by the power of the son of David that our eyes have been opened. Right? I mean, that is the picture that the gospel gives us. That is the picture that scripture presents us with, that we were walking in a land of darkness, that our eyes had scales over them, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. That's what the Bible tells us, right? Not that we were kind of doggy paddling in the middle of a lake and we were barely keeping our head above water. We were face down dead and we were in need of someone to come and to breathe new life into us, to remove the scales and let us see. And Jesus has done it. He's done it for you and for me. That is what Jesus has done. That he has breathed new life into us. He has removed the scales so that we can see. It was only by the power of the son of David that our eyes have been opened. So that we can see Jesus isn't just simply another man. He's not a teacher, another prophet. He was and is the son of David, the king who has come. And y'all, as those who have seen, who have had our eyes opened, when our eyes have been opened, we're going to respond as the blind man did. You see what he does in verse 43? Immediately he recovered his sight. Now let me just pause for just a second. Don't, Don't pass over that. Just think about that. Think about his experience. Seconds ago, all he could do was hear the voice of Jesus. Seconds ago, all he could hear was the crowd. Seconds ago, he was standing before this man who he could not see, saying, have mercy on me, bring healing to me, restore my sight. And seconds later, the first thing he saw is the one who healed him. Y'all, that is amazing. Immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Do you see how they responded? They responded by following Jesus and praising the Lord. Now, y'all, don't take that for granted. Some of you might be sitting there going, well, of course that's what they did. Of course that's what, he was blind and now he can see, of course he's going to rejoice and praise the Lord and follow Jesus. But not all respond that way. Do you remember the story of the 10 lepers in Luke chapter 17? It's just one chapter before this. Later today, you can go and read it if you'd like. Jesus came to another village. And as he came to the village, he was met by 10 lepers. 
And the ten lepers, they came to him and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Have mercy on us. And like our passage, Jesus, who was merciful and full of compassion, he tells them, go, go to the priest, present yourself to the priest. Which implied that they were going and they were going to be healed because they would present themselves to the priest because in doing so, the priest would then restore them to the community of worship and to the, the community at large. Go and present yourself to the priest. And so as they go along their way, they're moving towards the temple, going to present themselves to the priest, and they look down and their leprosy's gone. They've been healed. And we're told that one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He did exactly what he should have done. He bowed before the Lord. He gave thanks to him. He praised him because he had been healed. But what about the other nine? If you read the account, that's actually what Jesus asked. Weren't there ten of you? What happened to the other nine? Weren't ten of you healed? Why is it only one has come back? You see, ten had experienced and witnessed Christ's mercy and his power and his care. But only one gave thanks. Only one gave praise. Only one followed. So what about you? I mean, we've heard of Christ's power. We've heard of his compassion. We've even seen glimpses of it. So what response does that stir in you? You know, many will admire him for his mercy and his grace. And many will admire him for his power and authority. But y'all, admiration isn't the same as praise. And admiration doesn't equal following. No, the son of David who has come with compassion and with power, the proper response to him, the proper response is those who were once blind but now can see is that we would give him thanks, that we would praise him and we would follow him, not just on Sunday mornings when we gather for worship or Monday mornings when we open our Bibles to read it or Tuesday when we pray or Wednesday when we're doing our family devotions, but we would follow him with every fiber of our being in every place that he has called us to that we would give him thanks and praise in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our places of work. Everywhere we would give him praise and follow him. With every part of us, with our minds and with our words, with our actions, with our feet, with every bit of us, we, those who have experienced his power and compassion, would praise him and give him thanks because he is the son of David. He is the one who is promised and the one who has come and the one who has saved. And so how can we not follow him? How can we not give him praise? Let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have saved us, that you have taken us from sin and brought us into life. And we pray that you would help us now and not just this morning, and not just this afternoon, but all of our days to give you praise and thanks for what you have done. Father, we pray that you would help us to follow you so that wherever you lead us, we would go and that we would make much of our God and our King, the Son of David, the one who has come. And we pray this in Jesus' name and God's people said together, Amen.